Hey there listeners, welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who aren't quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Ashvin, I'm on the phone with Brian, and on this week's episode we're going to be talking about the 2022 film Scream, directed by Matt Bettinelli Olpin and Tyler Gillett, and written by James Vanderbilt and Guy Busick, and starring Melissa Breera, Mason Gooding, Jenna Ortega, and Jack Quaid. In this fifth installment of the Scream franchise, a group of kids in Woodsboro are once again the target of a masked killer. If you're new to the show, Brian and I are going to have a spoiler-free discussion up front. We'll take a quick break, and then we'll dive into the plot, hit some of the spoilers, and get into our review. Brian, were you excited to be back in theaters? Yes. I, well, no. <laughs> <laughs> Still feeling a little I nervous I was excited about it. to be finally seeing this movie because we kind of put it off for a while, but... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was excited to be seeing this movie. I actually had a good theater experience recently when I went to see Licorice Pizza at a small local theater. Oh, great. Um, and this experience here with Scream was, was just fine. There was there were no obnoxious teens, so everything was hunky-dory for me. Yeah, that's great. So you saw Scream at this uh, small independent theater? No, I saw Scream at, like, the Megaplex. Oh, okay, nice. Yeah, uh, it was pretty dead, I, I feel like, when we went as well. And, uh, I f- yeah, it's, like, been out for, for, like, a month now. So I think that helps avoid yeah. some of the teenagers. Right. But, yeah, exciting uh, to be back there. And here in Chicago, they're actually still checking. You can't go into the theater unless you have, like, your Vax card and stuff. So I was, I was surprised to see, like, how stringent they're being about some of that stuff. Are you are you guys in that? You know, the small theater did check um, when we went to see Licorice Pizza. But the big theater... The mandate for that kind of stuff was only in Minneapolis. The big theater was in a burb, so. Oh, okay. Nice. But I think they lifted that for Minneapolis, so no more. Yeah, I think they're about to lift it for Chicago, too. Yeah. Uh, cool. So, yeah, hopefully we'll be getting more theater visits in, in the coming months. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. I, th- I think before this uh, week or the last two weeks was the last time we were in theaters was for that Edward Wright film, I think. Last Night in Soho? Yeah, Edgar Wright. Oh, yeah, Edgar, right? Yeah. What did, what did I say? Edward? Edward. Yeah, I think last night in Soho was the last time we were in the theater. Yeah, like last October or something. Damn, that um, was a while ago. Yeah. So, But yeah, you, you were pretty excited about this film. I, I think it's probably one of the most uh, anticipated horror films for this year. You think that's fair? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, because I mean, this is about 10, 11 years from the last one and 25 years from the original. So uh, crazy that the the franchise is, is coming back, and yeah, people are, are all hopped up to see it. Do you think it's mostly people in our generation who grew up with this franchise, or do you get the sense it's maybe people who are new to horror or younger audiences that are tuning into this? I think a little bit, bit of both. I think the fact that Scream really kind of like sprawled itself out over a few decades is made it so that it had fans in a couple different generations. And I guess, it's yeah. like one of the big name franchises that's still active and is most recent. Yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like recent is kind of a, uh, an interesting term because I would agree with you from like 2000 to 2010, maybe you had like two films. But then like in the last 10 years, we only had one film. So that kind of like gap, it just makes me think that it's hard to like kind of keep momentum. If anyone like jumped on the bandwagon, like with Scream 4, are they like, were they, have they been waiting this whole time for the, the sequel? Yeah, I think maybe. I mean, 
I think people who are into horror movies and younger than us, I mean, you're hesitant to even go back to a movie that's before the 80s and you're sure. 38 years old. <laughs> exactly. So I feel like people that are, younger th- that are younger than us, I'm sure some of them are just can't connect with movies that are older than the 90s and, and screams, sure. screams in the 90s. So it's maybe a, a big name franchise that they still feel is fairly modern without having to go back to you know 1978 1984 to see the the first films yeah you know not that those people aren't going back and seeing halloween and nightmare on elm street but they may not be as likely to check out a bunch of movies from the 80s sure yeah that's that's true Um, i don't know just me theorizing i have no real fucking clue (laughs) no no that's true i'm sure there are all types of segments out there one thing though i wonder um say you're young and uh you're starting to go to the movies and the first scream you see that came out like when you're of age of like going to movies is like scream four or you know actually take that back you have you haven't seen any scream movie and now this new one comes out um, are you interested in seeing it or do you chalk it up like, oh, this is some franchise. I haven't seen the last four or five films. Why would I start seeing this now? Cause I feel like I, I kind of thought that way about franchises before where if it's like something that goes way back and I haven't seen like the first few, I'm not just going to like jump in onto like a later one. Um, do you, you ever feel like that? Um, yes. Yeah, I don't know. Sometimes they make me want to go back and, and see some of the earlier ones, or sometimes I'm like, whatever, I'll just jump in now. Especially with a movie like this, where it's just called Scream. You know yeah. it's a bit of a start over, which, you know, maybe it makes it a little bit less of a bad idea to call it Scream instead of Scream 5, because right. you can get some people who haven't seen the entire franchise. I know, that part is and really And you don't tricky. really need to. I mean, you can come into this one fresh. Yeah, fortunately, I feel like they give you a lot of the background in this one. Yeah. Um, that that is really funny. So th- this is technically a requel, which is a term I'd never heard before. Were you familiar with that? I don't think I had heard that either until this movie. It kind of makes sense. I guess, yeah. So uh, it's not a reboot because it is p- paying tribute to all the films that have happened and incorporating that history. But what makes it not a sequel? I think it's both a reboot and a sequel. It's a sequel to Scream 4, like everything's canon, and it's a reboot of the franchise because you've got a fresh start with new characters Mm, okay okay i guess but you could kind of say all of them are though if that's exactly well not all of them but maybe scream four at least maybe even scream three but i mean this is it's mostly saying like hey we intend to start a brand new franchise and we'll probably drop some of the regulars from the old franchise not that it's not a new, different franchise, but you know what I'm saying. We're, they're starting from scratch here. I guess, yeah. Whatever that means. You know, Halloween kind of did the same thing, even though there are still some old characters that are that are lumped in. Right. It's weird. I mean, it, it's kind of like just almost playing with the terminology because in all in all honesty, it's really just Scream 5 and, yeah. it, <laughs> you know, it's not that crazy different from how other franchises operate. I know, I know. Yeah, yeah. I feel like we got to be real about this. And, and this is a sequel. I, I think it's Scream 5. And yeah, to call it a reboot, I, I feel like it's tough because I think the same rules apply to part two, three and four. Like there was a different cast of friends coming in and you still have like uh, the, the main characters that we've had from Scream 1 that survived. So, um, yeah, it's hard, hard for me to call this like a reboot. If they go on to have zero of the original characters in movies going forward, then this will make a little bit more sense to call this a requel. I agree. I agree. Which very well could be the case. Could be the case. I think certain actors are probably just ready to button this up and and say goodbye. 
Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, 25 years in the making. That, that's crazy. I was trying yeah, to think of like. Yeah. Also, Scream was so. Back to your early earlier question as to whether or not younger horror fans are as excited for this as we are. Like, for so many people, this was probably the first big real horror movie they saw. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. For us, like, this was what was The Shining or A Nightmare on Elm Street or Halloween to us was probably Scream to them, you know? For sure. Uh, oh, I thought the scream was that for us. <laughs> Which, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it kind of it kind of was, but yeah. I think we were. I mean, I, I had seen horror movies before Scream, but maybe you and I were a little late to the game. I think a lot of horror fans are watching horror movies when they're like eight years old. Oh sure, uh, yeah, I think you watch when you're eight years old, but you always remember like that first one you they saw in theaters or one that like you kind of felt like you could relate to, and that's what stuck out to me about the original Scream. It's like we were um, what like that was late '90s, right? So we were like in our teenage years. It felt like somewhat uh, relatable to the characters. They seemed like really cool, and then um, it was just like kind of a, a, a cool kind of like slasher, modern day slasher. So yeah, I wonder if people still have that. Like younger generations have that experience with these uh, later releases yeah maybe yeah but speaking of all of that uh what were you most excited about coming into this film um i think i'm just i was just excited to see some of the old characters on screen again Mm. and i know you purposely left out some names probably because you really don't want to spoil stuff as as i didn't want things to be spoiled for me but (laughs) there are some people who uh who return we won't say who yet until yeah. after the spoiler transition, but I was just excited to see the old crew on screen again after we've kind of made our way through the franchise. I think a lot of this movie, again. yeah, I think a lot of this movie had uh, to do with like that kind of sense of nostalgia because not just in in who we see on screen, but even like the voice cameos, they seem to have like brought people back from like every film in some way in this movie. Um, which I, th- I, th- I thought was really interesting, and I, I think kind of points to the direction they're going with this film, but like paying tribute to like all, all the old school fans. Yeah, and being as a way to pay tribute to Wes Craven too. This is the first screen movie not directed by Wes Craven, who died yeah. in 2015. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I know. I was I was kind of uh, wondering how well uh, the momentum would carry without him, but um, yeah, we had instead we had two directors here who uh, together and with the third one go by the name of Radio Silence, which is interesting. I, I didn't know you could just get three people together and call yourself something. I call guess yourself a thing? Yeah. <laughs> well, we got two people together and called ourselves a club. That's true. <laughs> um, yeah, they're, Matt and Tyler, along with their buddy Chad Vieja, who uh, he was an EP on this film. Oh, okay. Got it. And so, they're yeah. responsible for the VHS segment called 103198, a movie called Devil's Due, they directed a couple of segments in Southbound, and they directed Ready or Not. Yeah, which is cool. I, I feel like uh, we've talked about some of those films and like them overall. Like those, are, those are pretty good films, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. I like all those movies. I've never seen the Devils or Devils Do, but I like VHS. I liked Southbound. I liked Ready or Not. Yeah, yeah. So cool, cool to be bringing in some fresh new talent on the director side here. Yeah. Um. Other big change uh, outside the director is Spyglass. Uh, you don't have Weinstein's production behind this anymore. We're, we're now uh, it got acquired in 2019 by Spyglass. It sounds like for a lot of years this was like in a will they won't they around making the sequel, and then Spyglass came in, bought the rights, and and then did this one. Yeah, uh, yeah, very very interesting. I, I think it's probably tied to some of the scandals around Harvey. I think between 
uh, Wes Craven's death and the scandals around Harvey, a lot, the can kept getting kicked down the road. Yeah. Yeah. So quote landed in uh, someone's hand who could do something about it. Um, and then, uh, let's see. Um, were you familiar? Yeah, we're obviously a lot of fresh new faces here, new cast, new friends. Um, people you recognized? Uh, let's see. I recognize, oh, I don't even remember the actor's name, but um, Wes Hicks, mm-hmm. that character. I recognize that dude who plays him. He was from this horrible Netflix horror movie called The Open House. Oh, I never saw that. <laughs> it's one of the least entertaining movies I've ever seen in my life. Does he have like that uh, bleached blonde hair too? No, not in that one. Oh, okay. Boy, that was like the biggest callback to 1996 was his bleached blonde <laughs> hair. That was odd. That was kind of out of place. <laughs> but other than that, I don't really recognize uh, any of these faces. They're all pretty fresh to me. Yeah, a young cast here. Um, I think the, the ones I recognized, Melissa Brera, she was in uh, In the Heights. Did you see that movie? Oh, I still haven't seen that. Oh, okay. She was a lead in that one. And then Jack Quaid was probably the most familiar to me. You don't watch that show, The Boys, on Prime? No, I've never seen that. Oh, that's kind of a cool show, man. I'll, I'll check that out sometime. It's like a dark superhero show. All right. There is a sixth film in progress. Uh, well, actually, before we talk about that, this one I think is doing relatively well, right? Twenty-four million at the budget, and then a hundred thirty million in the box office. So it seems like it's performing pretty well. For sure, yeah. It's currently number two at the box office for the entire year, twenty twenty-two, right behind Spider-Man: No Way Home. Damn. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, really in February, so I. I wonder yeah, how it's really it's in the air, but still. Yeah, yeah, that's quite quite a trail to follow behind Spider-Man. Like that's like <laughs> right. Yeah, you never saw that one, did you? I still haven't seen it. Maybe one day. Man, just don't yeah. care anymore. <laughs> Yesterday, I was getting cash out of an ATM, and uh, it was outside like this uh, this grocery store, and there was like a TV there playing a movie, and it was the new Spider Man movie. Uh, so I think it's like someone selling bootleg movies. <laughs> so they're just selling, they're just like playing the new Spider Man movie there. So I thought about buying it, but uh, figured it wouldn't do it justice. Uh, yeah. Um, Hey, what other horror franchises can we think of that five films in, you still have the same set of recurring actors, actresses, and characters? Oh, good question, man. Phantasm, probably. Oh, yeah. I think we just learned, even though we haven't seen that franchise. Right, yeah. But yeah, I mean, normally most people are swapped out. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I feel like usually you have a different character, different victim, different... Uh, director as well, like the, yeah, four films in, you had the same director on this one, so that, that's impressive too. Yeah, pretty cool that it was all in Wes Craven's hands for until his death. Yeah, right, right. Um, well, great. Anything else uh, background on this you want to talk about? Um, Samara Weaving was approached to uh, star in this film, but couldn't. She was busy with other stuff. That would have been nice to see. Yeah, as the lead. I I assume as the lead, right? Mm-hmm. Probably. Um, and then the Rotten Tomatoes score, 76 from critics, 81 from users. Which seems kind of high for a Scream film. For a Scream film? Yeah. I, I mean, the critics score is right. I don't know. That seems pretty consistent. Okay. I thought like With the f- first one was the highest, and even that was like in the 70s or 80s maybe. Yeah, I think, it, yeah. So so right around there. I mean, it's a well, well-received film so far. Mm-hmm. Critics and it fans is. seem to be, for the most part, pleased with it. Right, right. Um, 
Not only was this the first film in the franchise not to be directed by Wes Craven, but it was the first film in the franchise not to be scored by Marco Beltrami. Yeah, that's crazy. Yep. <laughs> I totally the music was done by a guy named Brian Tyler, who's no slouch. He's got a lot of big stuff under his belt. And fun fact, he won a Fangoria Chainsaw Award for Frailty. Oh, cool. Back in 2001. Wow. And he worked with Radio Silence before. He scored Ready or Not. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. Um, Yeah, maybe, I mean, if we're trying not to spoil too much, we'll maybe mention some more of the cameos in the the tail end of the show. Okay. Um, And before we go too much farther, I want to give a shout out to our listener, Damien, he was the one who requested the Phantasm episode, and I forgot to give him a shout-out on that episode. So cool. thanks, Damon, for requesting it. I've been meaning to rewatch that for years, and I'm glad we covered it. Yeah, same. I feel like I never would have known about that film unless we had talked about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was someone else on the Discord server who had never heard of it, I think. Oh, cool. Right. So you're not alone, <laughs> you weirdo. Yeah, glad to know I've got some company. Uh, hey, before we get to the trivia, um, what are your top screen movies so far? So far, it's one, four, two, three. Damn, me too. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I thought, <laughs> thought we'd uh, duke it out a bit there. But yeah, that's uh, that's where I landed too. You never remember what we review things. <laughs> I know. I know, man. Uh, does that align with our scores? Your memory is horrible. Um, yeah, I, I think it does. Okay, cool. All right, yeah, you got an Ohio connection for us? I do. As always, our Ohio connection comes from our friend Alex, who owns the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio. Go get some food and drinks there if you're in the Northeast Ohio area. And Alex says, Scream is a 2022 slasher film and the fifth installment in the Scream film series. Though billed as a relaunch of the film series, the film is a direct sequel to Scream 4 and the first to not be directed by Wes Craven, who passed away in 2015. Oh, he's going to spoil some stuff, so if you don't want some cameo spoiled, duck out now. I think this is safe, but previous Scream actors made cameos in the film, including Matthew Lillard, Hayden Penitary, Jamie Kennedy, Henry Winkler, and Adam Brody as partygoers who participated in a toast for Dylan Minnette's character, Wes, which also doubled as a tribute for the late Wes Craven. Adam Brody is best known for his role as Seth on the TV series The O.C., along with prominent film roles in Mr. and Mrs. Smith, Thank You for Smoking, Shazam, and The Ten, a 2007 anthology comedy directed by David Wayne, which covers ten stories, each based on the Ten Commandments. David Wayne was born and raised in Shaker Heights, Ohio. Cool. Nice tie back. Adam Brody's in that film? Yes, yeah. Oh, okay. And it was directed by David David Wayne, and he's the Ohio Connection. David Wayne was involved in, like, uh, the Wet Hot American Summer type stuff. Oh, nice. Those, like, classic comedies? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Adam Brody was only in Scream 4, I think, for, like, a few scenes, right? Yeah, he was one of the cops in Scream 4. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. cool, uh, He had a cameo here. Yeah, and he was in Ready or Not. So he's got a connection to Radio Silence and the Scream franchise. Right, right. Cool. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, do you want to get to the plot, uh, review the film, hit some spoilers? Let's do it. All right. Hey, uh, do you mind before that, though, if uh, we take a quick break? I got to run over to the neighbors. I left my jacket there. Okay. Yeah, sure. Go get that. All right. I'll be right back. All right.
Hey, Brian. Sorry about that. I'm, I'm back. Yeah, you get that jacket? I did. It, it was, uh, you know, it was fine. I went over there. He was having a party, but um, since I needed my jacket, he sent everyone home so that I could get my jacket. So I, I think that's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> yeah, the party's over as soon as somebody yeah. comes over to pick something up. Exactly. You can't have a party when that's going <laughs> on. Everybody out. Yeah. Uh, that was a bizarre thing to see. That was me. bizarre. Good call out. Yeah. All right. So th- this movie kicks off uh, like a lot of the older Scream films. Uh, we have a woman, a, g- a girl, a teenage girl by herself at home. Her name is Tara, and she's texting her friend Amber. The phone rings, the landline, of course, and we hear the familiar voice of Ghostface, who first claims to have the wrong number and is ready to hang up, but then ends up staying on the line and starts to have a conversation with Tara about things like horror films. And we get some meta moments here where Tara is talking up some more recent new wave or elevated horror films like uh, it's like Babadook and Hereditary are mentioned here. Um, what are the? Do you remember any other ones being mentioned? Uh, it follows was mentioned. I think there was oh. one more, but the witch. The, yeah, right, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of like all like the big films like the last five six years. Right, right. Um, but eventually, Ghostface lets Tara know that he means business, and that he's standing outside of her friend Amber's window and has her phone. Tara freaks out and starts playing this game of stab trivia trivia with the killer on the phone and i think this is kind of what you're talking about before where uh with this trivia you're kind of learning about the original scream movies who the characters are who the original killers were it's kind of setting some ground for anyone who's like new to the franchise did you did you see through that like was that what was happening here i didn't really see it as that when it was happening but sure yeah that's that's a good way to provide some exposition to catch people up yeah, that's what I felt like was happening here, because it's like, well, who are the killers? No, there were two killers in the first one, and then, like, who was the writer? It was Gil Weathers, so it was kind of, to me, it felt like this is, like, hey, refresher, or if you're new, this is what's what's happened so far. Right, right. That's a pretty pretty organic way to do that, actually. I guess, yeah, yeah. Random trivia about a film, yeah. That's I mean, that's the way a lot of them start, with horror yeah. trivia on the phone, so. yeah. True, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. This is trivia about like the film itself, so pretty meta as right. usual with like the the tone here. Sure. So I think she gets most of the answers right, but anyway, she ends up um, messing up something, and Ghostface attacks and shows up in the house, stabs and kills, or actually just stabs her a bunch of times. We assume kills her, but we find out later that she survived. Um, what did you think of this opening? You know, I thought it was good. I, I didn't, I wasn't blown away, um, but it was good. I think if I had to rank the opening sequences of all the movies, I'd say one, four, three, this one, five, and then two. Wow. It wasn't amazing, but it was, it was good. Is you it, know, yeah. you had talked about whether or not they would incorporate new technologies into this film. Because you would have talked about, as we were covering the franchise over the past few months, how the technology moved along with the franchise. Yeah. And I don't think they did a great job of that. Not that they really needed to. It was just an observation. But they had the landline, which was like a way to jump back in time to 1996. And she was on a cell phone. But other than that, the only technology was like the self-locking doors with the phone. Oh, sure. Yeah. Which, granted, is a very new technology, but... It's just not a super common technology. I don't feel like a lot of people have that. So yeah, I know it, that's it. Wasn't like a, 
it didn't feel quite as pertinent in the technology realm until something later in the film that kind of incorporates modern technology more so than this scene. But mm, I think I know what you're talking about, but. Um, what about the video? Because she looks on her phone and she sees the video and it's like a live uh, FaceTime or whatever and she can see her yeah, friend. That's um, true. Good point. Good point. FaceTime's yeah, in the mix. That's yeah, fair. For, I forget if we saw that in 4 or not, if, if like video was part of the whole ordeal. I remember like they were wearing like the headbands or whatever with the video camera. But I, I forget. Right, if, right. Yeah, I think you're videos. right. Okay, that's fair. FaceTime yeah. moment. Sure. But I, I agree with you. This was kind of a, a cool throwback. I, I mean, I, I hated the. Uh, I think the opening for part three and two, I'd put lower because those weren't like in a house where like the first one was, where the fourth one and fifth one was. So I, I was excited to see them back in a house targeting someone who's by themselves. Uh, I thought that was great. It is interesting though. This is the first time um, that when Ghostface calls, it isn't immediately threatening, and it, it almost felt like Ghostface was going to hang up. When uh, when she said like her mom wasn't there, did, did yeah, you get that it was sense? pretty friendly for a while. Yeah, like, that's oh, the way I, the first one started. Yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. Yeah, I guess that. Yeah, that, so you had a little bit of that playfulness, and then uh, the first time though we had the victim actually survive the initial stabbing, which I thought was an interesting decision. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right? true. I think, yeah, almost, I think in all of them, the person dies and that we see in that opening scene. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I feel like that's usually the the way these things go is you, you know you're going to lose that first character that you see, and yeah. they're just there for that intro. Um, did you feel like the violence here, like, this is also, I think, jumped out at me that the, it felt like a lot more violent with the stabbings, uh, even in this first scene, but did you feel that way? Yes, yeah, not only in this first scene, but throughout the rest of the movie, it is a very brutal movie. It's not as gory. We don't see some of the outright gore that we see in the first one or the fourth one even, but it's brutal. It's very yeah. violent. Similar yeah. to like what the Halloween franchise has done. It's just like really intense, brutal and right. Yeah, it just it hits hard. It really does. It's interesting because uh, so many movies where you have a, a villain with a knife or like a knife action happening, it's always been like one stab and that's it. Uh, in this film and in this scene, I think what they start to set is the idea of like stabbing someone multiple times really quickly. And maybe that's like more realistic or that's just like kind of how serial killers do it. Um, that, that really jumped out to me as, as like a big difference here. Yeah. <laughs> I, hope, I feel like a few episodes back I... Made fun of you for saying there were knives happening, and now you've evolved to knife action happening. <laughs> yeah. I'm building out the terminology. <laughs> a little one word at a time. <laughs> All right. So, so far, we're, we're on board uh, with this film. So, after being taken to the hospital, Tara's sister, Sam, and her boyfriend, Richie, come to visit her. We learn that Sam had left the house and, and her home and Tara many years back and has been pretty distant uh, from Tara. And Tara's friends aren't huge fans of Sam because of this. We also get some exposition into Sam's friends, or no, in, into Tara's friends, sorry, uh, who are, I don't know, did you feel, did you like any of these characters or were they kind of forgettable immediately or? Um, They're did, all just there and fairly forgettable except for Mindy, who is Randy's niece. Yeah. Um, thought, so she is she... playing the role of Randy, and I don't think it's a coincidence that her ends, her name ends in N-D-Y as well. Oh, interesting. Um, she's a charming character, and she provides the meta horror movie commentary that every f- film seems to have a, a character who's in on the 
in on the uh, the genre. So yeah, and knows all she the serves rules. that role pretty well, I think. Right. Other than yeah, that, everyone's I, pretty forgettable to me. I know. Yeah, they, they're they're not very uh, not a memorable cast here. But yeah. it's interesting how like uh, the first scene of of them is them like kind of saying like oh, I wonder which one of us or any of us could be the killer like just kind of casting doubt on each other that they kind of jump to that conclusion in their first conversation basically right um, so that part felt a little bit rushed there but um, yeah and, and did you like the setup of Tara and Sam uh, what was going on there um no I didn't I don't know that I had a problem with it from a script standpoint but. I'll go ahead and say it right now that the woman who played Sam, Melissa Barrera, did not do a great job in my opinion. So oh, man. Yeah. I could not really connect to her and I couldn't connect to the core dramatic relationship here between her and her sister. Yeah. So the the first film and every other film really has Nev Campbell's character to really ground it for me. Sydney Prescott grounds it. She's got authentic relationships whether you think she's a good actor or not Ashvin um, but this just I couldn't connect I, I didn't connect to this situation yeah I agree I, I think it only gets worse uh, her acting throughout yeah. this which is really unfortunate she reminds me of the final girl in Freddy vs. Jason both in her appearance and her acting style oh man it's been years since I've seen that um, but th- we'll that was... co- probably come to it in the next couple of years so we'll okay. have to Check back and see what you think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I think uh, in these early scenes, there's a lot of like chemistry, a lot of uh, baggage here and, and emotional stuff going on. And uh, I think it becomes very apparent that one of uh, someone here might not be that great uh, when it comes to acting. <laughs> <laughs> so, but but leading up to that, uh, what happens is that while Sam's at the hospital, she is talking to herself in the mirror, and out of nowhere we get a vision of Billy Loomis, the killer from the first film, and he's kind of taunting Sam and telling Sam that, you know, you got to tell Tara the truth or something like that. So we're led to believe there's some kind of connection there. But then suddenly Sam gets attacked by Ghostface in the hospital. She's able to escape it. Um, and now she goes to her sister Tara and she confides in her that when Sam was young, she had found this diary in her mother's attic and it revealed that her real father was actually Billy Loomis, who her mother was having an affair with at that time. And so Sam had confronted her mother about this, which caused uh sam and tara's dad to overhear this and leave and so sam has always kind of felt like she'd broken up the family and has carried that burden and that's why she's been distant from tara for all these years and tara hears this and is just kind of really angry and upset and tells uh sam to basically fuck off i guess uh what do you think about this like did, did you expect to see billy loomis in this film i didn't i like that angle to an extent um I have mixed feelings about it because, again, it's kind of like from the script perspective, it's a good angle. But then with the spirit of this being a reboot, back to our old discussion, or requel, it's really not very different than every other (laughs) sequel because what this franchise always does is creates characters we never knew existed. Like, they existed in the past and were there present for the events of the prior films but just weren't in the movie like it's always someone's half brother or sister or daughter or cousin that we never knew that they had like uh even like randy's sister that was introduced in scream 2 just like stuff like that 
uh, there's just always a character who's supposedly been in the mix and uh, <laughs> nobody ever knew about it. Nobody ever knew that Billy fathered uh, a daughter before he dated Sid. Like, yeah, it just seems it gets it's a little old, I guess. That, that yeah. angle is stale to me. Yeah, it's very much, I think, part three. I think that was all about like going back yes. to like Sydney's mom stuff. Um, do you feel like this is why it's important that part one of any film, which is every film, I guess, should always have like a family tree present on the screen uh, so that we know like for future iterations, like, oh, this family ties back <laughs> to this person or, oh, wonder what this cousin's been up to or when's that person going to come on screen? I mean, I think it's a viable way to expand the universe, but they've done it every time. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's uh, a, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like they played that trick a few times though. Uh, but it, it's interesting the the way they bring it up in this one because in the past ones I feel like that person has tied to the killer. In this one, you're seeing someone who you know is dead. So it's like we kind of know Billy Loomis isn't the killer, right? Right. Or did you right, did but... you think that for a second? No, no, I know. Okay. <laughs> but I like the idea of her being tormented by this discovery. I like the thought of a character who's discovered that their father is this horrible person yeah. and how that affects their past and echoes out into everything they do. It just, again, with had it not been for the history of the franchise having done things like that a bunch already and had it not been for a poor performer being, a poor performance, I should say, mm-hmm. uh, I think it could have worked a little better. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I agree. And, and I, I think we see future shots of Billy Loomis in this and uh starts to feel a little cheesy sometimes. Um, There's some de-aging going on, and I, I hope that we just stop doing that in films. It, it never looks good to me. Oh, Even yeah, when people a, say it looks incredible, there's this yeah. weird, like, glossy sheen to it. I don't think it looks good. And and they, they actually had, like, skeet here, right? Yeah, it's really skeet all rich. And yeah. they said they thought about not de-aging him because he, he still looks great. Uh, but they went ahead and did it. Dude, oh, I just went, I can't remember if I told you, but I just had a like getaway at an Airbnb with some of our old buddies. Mm-hmm. And we were narrowed down to a few houses, and one of the houses was Skeet Ulrich's house. Oh, yeah, you're telling me this. I'm a little pissed <laughs> that we didn't choose it. but Yeah, no, that's really cool. Yeah. That's what he does now. He's just got like some properties that he puts on Airbnb. Just runs out an Airbnb, yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice way to go. Um, yeah, so interesting uh, reveal here, and it kind of ties our main character now directly to the first killer, which also to confirm, this would have been before uh, he was dating uh, Sydney. I Prescott, assume it right? would have had to have been before he was dating Sydney, right? Unless he, like, well, yeah, because he was dead. <laughs> there, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's I no so. way, unless it happened, like, during the plot of Scream, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on the side of Scream, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. And yeah, that's what the franchise does. So, yeah. yeah, I assumed that he... I mean, in 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 the franchise's defense, he could have gotten somebody pregnant and them not even known they were pregnant until after the events of Scream. Right, yeah. Yeah, and they never really answered that or if, she, if he ever knew. Right, uh, right. And we don't need to know. Yeah, right. I, I guess... guess. <laughs> I guess, yeah. I just, I, I struggle with the math on this. Because, yeah, you've got Sam, who's like the daughter of Billy Loomis. You have some other characters who have parents or uncles who are from like the original Scream. So, what you're saying is that Sam's mom was in high school with uh, Billy Loomis, got yep. pregnant, then Billy moved on to Sydney. Uh, why would, oh, but 
married her high school sweetheart. Um, so, I mean, is it is it called an affair? Can you have an affair when you're in high school? Wait, she so she Sam's mom said she married her high school sweetheart. Well, no, but uh, didn't Sam's dad always think that he was Sam's dad until that moment when he found out that oh shit? Uh, oh right, right. Um, good point. Good point. So, yeah. So I guess he was having Billy had an affair with a a woman who was dating somebody else or a girl who was dating someone else, and yeah. Then that guy assumed it was his baby. Yeah. Wow. High school is a fascinating, man. There's so much going on there. Yeah, I mean, I guess the math adds up, right? And then so Sam's probably about 25 years old, 24. Damn. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So, um, yeah, Sam decides that she needs to seek out someone who's familiar with these ghost face attacks. And she goes to find our first alumni, Sheriff Dewey. He's now living in a trailer split up from Gale, which is quite a departure from where we left off in part four, where I think they were like pretty lovey-dovey at the end, right? They, they were married and like living together, I think, at the end of part four, right? Yeah, yeah. Everything was hunky-dory with them for the most part. Yeah, but now he's like this trailer guy, and he watches her on TV because she's like in New York and I think on like Good Morning America or something. Yeah, but, yeah, he's got bottles everywhere, so it's uh, yeah. hinted at that he's a borderline alcoholic now. Yep, yep, life hasn't been uh, too friendly for him. Right. Uh, so he reluctantly reluctantly agrees to help uh, and meets up with Sam and Tara's friends, two of which are the niece and nephew of, was his name Meeks? That wasn't his name, was it? From... Randy, Randy Meeks, was that his last name? I think you might oh. be right. Okay, Randy Meeks, yeah, Randy, that's why. Cool. Um, so there we have. Man, that if we get some of this stuff wrong, people are going to be pissed. People, <laughs> people are particular about this franchise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's there are going to be a lot of people really pissed at me just for not staying at Ski Arch's Airbnb. <laughs> I know you've already wronged them. Yeah. I've already. Yeah, we've already dropped a few listeners. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for staying with us. Yeah, I'll, I'll send uh, Brian's home address out after this, so you can send him some <laughs> thoughtful letters. Um, so there we have, I think, the familiar conversation that we have from every other film where they try to break down the rules and uh, try to figure out who it is that could be behind this. Uh, and I know they do this in every film, but uh, do these rules like ever pan out or do they ever carry film to film? I feel like there have been so many rules and none of them maybe overlap, but what, what do you think? Good question. I can't say. I, I know they mention the rules each film, but yeah, this one... The rules don't really pan out. I mean, he was like, it's, it's always like the boyfriend and stuff like that. And that's not really been the case throughout the franchise. So Yeah, like I was looking at the love interest, right? Yeah, I don't think the rules are quite set as stone as everybody thinks they are. Yeah. Which is, that's kind of a commentary, <laughs> a meta commentary on slashers anyway. Everyone thinks that they like know the rules or that people who have sex or do drugs are going to die. Yeah. And that the final girls are always virgins. But as we've talked about in past episodes, that's kind of a myth. Yeah, that kind of is, right. Yeah, I've seen very few uh, few movies that follow those. So maybe they are just playing to that. Um, that afternoon, Ghostface makes an afternoon appearance and uh, stalks the sheriff's son. The sheriff was um, actually in part for, I, I forget, uh, Deputy... Deputy Hicks. She was Deputy Hicks? Uh, Marley Shelton oh, okay. plays Deputy yeah. Hicks, yeah. Right, okay, okay, yep. So um, she's been around... And um, her son is at home taking a shower. I think this is kind of like a throwback to Psycho probably, right? Where he's in the shower and um, he gets a call. 
But actually, before he even gets out of the shower, his mom, like, comes home because she gets this call in the car that, like, I'm, I'm watching your son take a shower or whatever. And then um, she shows up. <laughs> I'm watching your son take a shower or whatever. Yeah. No big deal. Boo. Yeah. Maybe there'll uh, be some knife action. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. TBD. Uh, so she shows up. Uh, she comes uh, racing back home. She shows up. She's running towards the front door. Ghostface pops out, stabs her in the middle of the day, goes inside. Uh, the son finishes the shower, comes down. Gets stabbed pretty brutally through the, I think through the cheek or something, or in the neck yeah, or, or like something. Yeah, like through the neck. Yeah, yeah. So, so some pretty gory kills here, which I I thought she was going to be the killer. So this kind of blew me away. But what did you think of this kill scene? Uh, pretty brutal. Um, I and like kind of sad. So I was, I thought it was kind of cool. Um, I didn't love how they were like trying to make it like Psycho, just do your own thing, but. Uh, it was it was still good. And did you notice yeah. she left a little sticky note that there were lemon bars in the fridge? Yeah. I just screamed for it. Uh, Courtney Cox was like, fuck oh. your lemon bars or whatever. <laughs> I totally forgot about that. <laughs> also, uh, we'd be remiss to mention that when Courtney Cox was on, uh, well, Gail Weathers, rather, was on Good Morning America, they cut away for a while, and when they cut back to her, she was wrapping up something about how nobody better let her do that with her bangs again. Oh yeah, it's just a commentary about her on her Scream Three haircut. Oh man, yeah, yeah. There, there's a lot varied in here. Um, I think like at a certain point, you see like Elm Street is one of the streets that someone's driving by. You have characters like named Wes, or like the main characters like Sam Carpenter. This movie is kind of like riddled with like uh, throwbacks and everywhere you look. How do you feel about that? This like utter fan service that's been happening, like in Halloween Kills and in this movie. Uh, I'm not a fan of it. I, I feel like it sometimes like holds the story back, or like you're wondering, are you driving the story forward, or are you paying more tribute towards uh, like the fandom of it, and uh, never like it when it leans too far into that direction. Because I, I feel like it comes at a cost. But what do you think? I agree, man. Like I, if if we're leaning into people hating us after this episode, I'm gonna lean right into it and say like, <laughs> the fan service has gone too far. It like yeah. tricks people into thinking they're watching something that's better than it is. Yeah, and it's just like, how hard is it to just throw a bunch of fan service in there? Like, it's there was a um, a critic named Jeanette Katsuli for the New York Times. She she wrote two things about the film. It, well, two ideas in one sentence. I don't agree with the first part, but she says, wearyingly repetitive and entirely fright free, fright free. Scream teaches us mainly that planting Easter eggs is no substitute for seeding ideas. Mm. Yeah, and I don't agree with that first part, which I'll get into in my review. But I, I'm I'm agreeing. Like, let's stop like just putting crazy <laughs> Easter eggs everywhere. It's just a cheap way to get people excited. Yeah, I feel I like the movie should stand on its own two legs. It it just seems kind of masturbatory to me. I agree, and then I feel like uh, it's not fair to those who, of us who have terrible memory, and like it wouldn't mean anything <laughs> to. And then someone's like, "Oh, did you catch that? Did you catch that?" And like, ah, I like I don't know. Are we supposed to be like looking out for these clues? Yeah, right. And then it's like, I think I I keep insulting fans every, every episode and our listeners, but people lose their shit over it. <laughs> I'm yeah, just I like, know. cool. Like whatever. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's fun. I, I'm I'm shitting on it. It's harmless, but it's this and Halloween Kills were just so drenched in them. It's like my yeah. God, who cares? That is an interesting cultural shift. Like I wonder if filmmakers are more uh, concerned about like getting a rise out of their fans versus telling like a new story or 
playing into new area or, or getting new audiences. I wonder if they're um, there's that whole like thing in business where it's easier, it's more profitable to keep a customer than it is to like find a new customer. So I wonder if that like methodology is being applied to films now. Maybe, man. Or you got to like prove to the fans that you're a fan of the franchise and have done your research. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> that could be it too. Yeah, I know. I know this they're kind of setting some standards here. Uh, but yeah, no good. Good comparison though between this. But and anyway, too. grumpy old man aside, right. grumpy old me aside, I did like this sequence. I thought it was a little strange that he just murdered her right out there in broad daylight, but it was yeah. uh, pretty pretty brutal, and uh, it it showed that uh, Ghostface means business, as you as you <laughs> so intimidating intimidatingly mentioned earlier in the episode. <laughs> yeah, not fucking around. Uh, I mean business. I'll we'll stab you in the day. I mean business. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it was tragic uh, seeing a mother and a son uh, killed right here. But um, yeah, the, this, it, this was yeah, interesting. for sure. It would have been more tragic uh, without those highlights, but or yep. the bleach blonde hair. But yeah, it was. And I liked <laughs> Deputy Hicks as a character. I liked her in Scream Four as a character. I didn't love her in this though. Oh, she wasn't okay. really given any like meaningful moments before her death to she help wasn't. us uh, feel that loss more. She wasn't, but I had it like in my mind the whole time that she was a killer for some reason. Um, so I, I, I was, I was, I wasn't like paying too much attention to her except for the fact that oh, I know she's gonna come back and uh, be the killer. But, but you're right; they didn't really give her much of a role. I feel like, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if she was there to like, but, like, did you think she would, was a killer by any chance? No, not really. Okay, that must have just been me. I kind of got the two killers almost right away. What? Really? Not to brag, it just seemed kind of like. You never know for sure with these movies, but the, they they were they were who I had pegged. Okay, okay, cool. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, so then, oh, interestingly, while this kill happens, you know the police show up here, and Sam shows up, and Gail shows up. There's this reunion between Gail and Dewey, which is pretty heartfelt, and we learn that they had broken up because Dewey didn't want to hang out in New York because he was more of a Woodsboro guy than a big city guy. So um, he had come back to Woodsboro, and they had split up that way. But there's obviously still some feelings there. I got really uh, pissed here because I thought it was going to be another, like, part two or part three or part one where it's like, are they in love or they're not? Or they're playing, like, hard to get. So I was, I was, I was kind of uh, pissed here. But what did you think of this reunion? I was fine with the reunion itself. I just wasn't really happy to see Dewey in that state and, and to see them apart. And it was also just kind of hard to buy into as his character. Like, I understand his character being a Woodsboro guy. I could see that um, being something that is a difficulty for them. I would have rather seen that difficulty playing out in their relationship currently. Like, that being a point of tension and them getting through that point of tension in this movie. Instead, what we see is a Dewey who's left Gale in the middle of the night and then come back to Woodsboro to, like rot in this messy house and drink alcohol and watch TV all day. Like, it just seems like a disservice to the character and uh, just, like, unnecessarily depressing, kind of. Like, yeah, why? I don't know. I feel like those two characters are a disservice to humanity and, like, the less of them we have, the better. So I, I kind of like that they spared us the whatever messy breakup they went through or whatever and uh, just, like, cut to, like, 25 years later, like, they're in, in different worlds. Because, um, I don't know, I, I don't know if I could have stood, stood a film of them kind of, like, being um, having the relationship tested, but you, you would have wanted to see that? Yeah, I mean, I like the Dewey-Gale relationship 
more than you do. I like them as characters more than you do. I think what I don't like, and largely why you don't like them, is the whole will-they-won't-they thing. So I'm glad we didn't have to go through that, but I would have just preferred them to be at a happier place in their relationship. (laughs) Going through, like, normal relationship problems rather than, oh, my gosh, they hate each other and, like, Gail's kind of a jerk and... Yeah. Yeah. You know... I thought we got some of that in part four with the tension between them where she wanted to help with the case, but you wouldn't let her. And so she was kind of doing it on her own. So I, I thought that was like an interesting dynamic. Yeah, I where, like that version of Gail and Dewey. Like they're going yeah. through normal relationship problems, but neither is being yeah. an all out jerk. Sure. Yep. Yeah, it felt good. Okay. Uh, but yeah, anyway, while this happens, uh, suddenly they realize that there are no police at the hospital. So Sam and Dewey rush to the hospital. They meet Richie there. At the hospital, Ghostface has started attacking uh, Tara, who's been in the hospital uh, since the first attack. Dewey shoots Ghostface, but just as he's getting ready to put a, sh- uh, a bullet uh, in, in uh, the Ghostface's head, Ghostface brutally stabs and kills Dewey, which, man, this, this kill, I, I thought this was pretty uh, brutal. What, what did you think? Yeah, it was very brutal. Again, like There's a lot of blood here, but again, it's not so much in the... What you see is just the way the action moves, the way it's shot, and uh, yeah, it's just like brutal and intense and hard and aggressive. Uh, It was rough, and I just feel like this, again, going back to what I said, this is a total disservice to Dewey. I would have been fine if one of the legacy characters died in this movie. I, I think Dewey's frankly the right choice to die in this movie. But to have him die in this version of his life where he's run on on Gale in the middle of the night and become, like, an alcoholic who presumably kind of got fired from his job, like, I just don't know why they chose to go that route. That's just kind of, like, unfair to a lovable character. It just feels weird. They did all this fan service and then to just, like, drag Dewey through the mud. God. I mean, he did save these characters' lives in his dying act, but... Still, uh, I don't know. What did you think about that plot-wise and, and the choice to let Dewey go? Uh, yeah, I, I liked it a lot. I mean, I, I definitely felt like one of these characters had to go. And, uh, I, I, you know, I, I, Dewey taking out Dewey was uh, obviously a welcome thing. I thought he kind of went out as like a tragic hero because, yeah, he saves someone. And then he gets killed. Ghostface is like it's been an honor or whatever. Uh, or says something to that effect. And as he's dying, we see like his phone is ringing and it's Gale. So it's like this really kind of tragic end to him, which uh, I agree. Like he became like a shitty character, which I, I think is kind of realistic. Like you're, you're a small town cop. You're not just going to go like live a great life in New York suddenly, maybe. Uh, maybe it's more realistic that you come back to that town and you kind of die with the town and the murder. So it kind of felt like a fitting end to his story where like he's been stabbed so many times. And finally now, like he, at, at the height of it, he's like saving someone. He's dying and in his phone like he dies in the knowledge that like Gail still kind of cares about him or something yeah I can see that angle I just if it would have felt more tragic to me if things had been going better in his life I, I feel like I guess I would have just preferred tragic in a different way like this was just like <laughs> oh god damn like what else can do we go through like you said <laughs> he's stabbed in every single movie and now yeah. he's finally stabbed and done done in but before that happens he's got to sink to the low point of his life yeah Yeah, exactly but he died uh, doing what he loved doing getting stabbed I guess you know I I do love the line that goes I love that Ghostface says it's an honor yeah Uh, I think that is really disturbing but really cool 
and a really nice meta touch. I, I, I if you take the fact that Dewey was kind of done dirty as, as where his character is at this point in time out of it, I did like the way this played out. Yeah, yeah, this is a cool scene. Good, good hospital uh, share down. Um, mm-hmm. And is this the technology you were talking about earlier where Ghostface has the ability to talk in real life using like a voice thing in his mask or in their mask? No, I think the technology thing I'm talking about is the killer reveals. Uh, that's when we can talk about it. Oh, okay, okay. All right. Great. Well, then uh, Sam decides that she needs to get Tara out of Woodsboro for her safety. So Sam and her boyfriend, Richie, put her put Tara in the car to leave. At this point, Sydney shows up. Uh, we'd gotten a scene of her earlier that um, Dewey had called her to let her know that Ghostface is back and these killings are happening, but don't come to town. But after hearing about Dewey's death, she's come to town. So she's met up with Gail and they confront Sam and they try to tell her that you can't run away from this. You have to stay here and help us fight Ghostface Killer. Uh, Ghostface. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) But then uh, Sam turns her down because logically, yeah, they they just need to get out of town. Uh, Which, you know, I I like that about Sam. Like, out of all, like, the moves that people have made in scary movies. I feel like they were making the right decisions here, but like let's just hightail it out of town. I, right. I feel like I agree. that made a lot of sense, right? Yeah. I agree. Okay. By the way, uh, to go backwards, uh, I love when Dewey first texts Gail and he's like, hey, the murders are happening again. Don't come to Woodsboro. <laughs> and then says, hope all is well. Smiley face. Yeah, I know. That was great. Yeah, Dewey was a great like comic relief in this film, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, yeah, if I wasn't so depressed by him. <laughs> He's just a guy down in his luck that gets killed finally by Ghostface. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with that? Yeah, What's wrong exactly. with being stabbed to death at the miserable low point of your life after you've run out on your wife in the middle of the night? Exactly. It's <laughs> a good way to go. Uh, so unfortunately, as they're leaving town, uh, Tara realizes that she doesn't have her inhaler with her. So they decide they need to stop by Tara's friend's house, Amber, to get an extra one. So they stop by Amber's house. Amber's throwing this party, and we know Ghostface is there because one of the teenagers at the party has been uh, attacked and killed already. Um, when Tara and her sister show up, they're just there to pick up the uh, inhaler and get out of there. But for some reason, Amber chooses this time to end the party and send everyone home. So the party gets disbanded. The group splits up in the house to go get this inhaler. Ghostface shows up and starts attacking everyone. Um, and then we get our reveal on who Ghostface is. And it is Amber and Richie, the boyfriend of Sam. You saw this coming? Yeah, I mean, in the opening, it's Amber's phone. And Ghostface is, like, right there in the room with Amber. So, you know... The complicated answer is that Ghostface cloned Amber's phone, but the simple answer is it was truly Amber's phone and Amber was in on it. So, mm. And we never yeah. really hear anything about her saying, like, I can't believe like Ghostface was in the room with me or anything like that. Like, yeah. It's just dropped. So from right, up, right off the bat, I was kind of like, okay, she's yeah. probably in on it. And then the boyfriend was just so obviously, like, too good to be true. Uh and and conveniently gone in a lot of situations, which they made a point to mention. So hmm. it just felt right that it would be him too. 
So interesting. Uh, that th- beginning scene with the Amber, I assumed the ghost face was outside of her window, like zooming in on her. You thought that shot was like in the room, though? I thought he was in the room, but uh, I yeah, I don't think that's the problem with these theater films. I feel like you can't really, uh, I, neither of us just remembers them as well. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, that's so interesting because I, I felt like Amber was kind of like the obvious one up front, but because she was the obvious one, I kind of knew it wasn't her. But um, I guess this time maybe they played to like having the obvious one be the killer. Um, I had my money after the, the the sheriff got killed on the missing mom that like she has been pissed at Sam all these years for breaking up the family and like uh, pointing out her the affair that she had with Billy Loomis. And she's like just like missing from the whole film, so I assumed it was going to be her. You never right. About that. She's definitely something that comes to your mind because yeah, she she doesn't seem to care that much that her daughter's like in a hospital, and it's weird that she's not in the movie after all this tragedy has befallen her family. Right, right, right. Yeah, but yeah, it's not her either. So and and so the motive turns out to be that they are fans of the series, the Stab series, which is based on Scream or whatever. And uh, they didn't like how the franchise had left off, so they're trying to rewrite it and create some new fresh material. So very meta, like kind of what they're doing with this film, right? Yeah, kind of a commentary on toxic fandom. Yeah, toxic which fandom. is weird because they went out of their way to make all this <laughs> fan <laughs> service. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that the fans demand nowadays, but then are commenting on on toxic fandom. Yeah, yeah. Not that yeah. wanting Easter eggs is toxic, but you know. Yeah, well, I, I think it's just the movie being so self-aware and so meta that it, it's doing exactly what it's making fun of. Sure, sure. And that's what we've discussed in the past. Like, that's the meta is doing what you're making fun of. Yeah, right, right. Um, so Gail and Sydney show up. Um, they Gail gets shot by Amanda, and then they get taken. They all get kind of taken hostage by the killers. Um, Sydney and Gail are able to kind of break free a little bit, and they start fighting with, uh, not Amanda, sorry, Amber. They start fighting with Amber, and uh, eventually they cover Amber in hand sanitizer and throw her onto some f- open flames on the stove, and Amber like lights up on fire and, and burns to death. Uh, did, did, did you like that kill? Yeah, that was pretty gnarly. I, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I feel like that's what, like one of the best kills uh, in this franchise. That's good. And then the other kill, uh, so Richie and Sam are fighting, and uh, Sam gets the best of him and uh, stabs him like multiple times really brutally as well. So that, that was kind of a cool kill to see happen. Before um, she does, she sees a vision of Billy Loomis nodding towards where the knife is. Oh, yeah. So What did you think of that? Uh, I think that was a little over the top, man. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think that was one too many. Yeah. One too many visions of Billy. Yeah, yeah. We really didn't need that. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't think it added anything. It was a little odd. Yeah, because I think, I think they're, they're trying to draw a parallel between like her being the daughter of a serial killer and the way she just stabs Richie over and over and over again. But I think that was already done by her saying like, "Don't fuck with the daughter of a serial killer." Right. Yeah, you could have just done that. But it, right. it was cool how how she took him out, like how like the quick stabs and everything. Yeah, those, those I agree. Because that and that's something like that you always want for every character in a horror movie to do. Like, make no yeah. mistake. Like, get that person as dead as dead can be. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. And and then we do have uh, Amber who comes back, uh, who would who would burned up, and she's not dead yet. And they shoot her in the head, and I think Tara shoots her in the head, and then that's where the film ends. Yep. And I think uh, that was a, a 
an Easter egg for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood fans. Oh, how so? Or an homage to a scene in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, because Amber's in that film, right? Yeah, yeah, and uh, not to spoil, I guess it's a slight spoiler, but a similar thing happens. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Cool, yeah, so what, what did you think of the film? I, despite all my complaints, it, uh, this is one of those movies where I'm complaining a lot, but I'll have an overall positive review. My favorite parts of the movie were the pacing. I thought it kept moving it, it, and uh, never really got dull or boring. Like we've discussed, it was brutal. I thought the kills were really good. And there were some suspenseful scenes. Mm -hmm. So I liked the movie as a whole. Uh, And the dialogue was good, but I think its biggest weakness was that the characters were one-dimensional and poorly written. Yeah. And like we talked about before, uh, a poor performance, I thought, by Melissa Barrera prevented me from connecting with her as the main character or the central drama about her past and the relationship with her sister. So I never really felt like the movie was emotionally grounded in anything. I didn't care that much, uh, aside Mm. from the legacy characters who really weren't in it that much. Dewey had far and away the most screen time of the legacy characters. And again, uh, he was done dirty, in in my opinion. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And I have a... Um, something I don't even know if I should say. <laughs> oh like boy, let's hear it. The epitome of toxic fandom. I think another disservice about Dewey's death is that part of the emotional hit of Dewey's death would be Gail's reaction to that. And uh, Courtney Cox can't really show the same range of emotions that she used to be able to. So it kind of robbed us of that... Uh, that sadness and and her reaction to it, uh, which is yeah, I'm a little disgusted with myself for even saying that, but yeah, <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> that's I mean, my I, that's my reality. Yeah, I I don't know, like they had been split up at this point for at least ten years. Well, uh, I guess at the most ten years. So yeah, I, I guess I would have expected yeah more of an emotional thing. I mean, I know there's a thing Sydney comes in and like there's a kind of a heartfelt moment there where they're reflecting on um, Dewey, but uh, yeah, he could have gotten a better send off like from an emotional perspective. Yeah. Um, your comment about the pacing though, uh, did it bother you that I think because you had a sister dynamic at the like a sibling dynamic at the core of the film. Um, whereas like all the other films, you know, you just have like Sydney or you have like a, a one person, you don't have like too much, uh, of like, you know, someone looking out for someone else or anything like that. Um, did you, did you feel like there might've been too much like dialogue or emotional bonding or like uh, heartfelt moments for a scream f- film? No. In fact, I think there were maybe too few or I just think they were happening, but they weren't hitting. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't because know. Because of the acting. Yeah. 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 And yeah, some yeah. of it didn't seem that realistic. Like, when she told her little sister that she found out her dad was a serial killer, the little sister was just like, fuck off. <laughs> yeah, like, I didn't get that at all. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't understand that as a, as a reaction that a sane, normal person would have. Right, right. So. Yeah, that, that confused me too. Like, am I missing something here? <laughs> <It was laughs> and the visions of Billy, dad. like, I suppose they did serve the character of Sam, like they helped us understand Sam a bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
But I just, yeah, the the, the de-aging thing kind of bugged me. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, don't, I didn't feel like we needed to see him. I felt like that was more in there for, like, the fan service, uh, the fandom. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, well, that's cool. Yeah, so I, I, I kind of agree with you. Like, uh, um, I, the gore and the kills were good, but acting a little, a little down. Uh, what would you think about, like, the uh, music or the production value? I thought the music was still pretty good. No, yeah. no more Marco Beltrami, but I was, uh, I was pleased. How did you feel? Yeah, yeah, I was down with that. I thought, I thought it, it fit the film really well. Um, did you have like any favorite kills or any, any uh, special scenes that like jumped out to you? Hmm. Good. I think the finale was pretty cool, and I love the whole. They always come back, and they've done this trick before too, where the one you think is going to come back doesn't, but the other killer does. Oh yeah, sure. And uh, I thought it was really well done with Amber. I, I thought that was a cool kill with Amber, and uh, cool that it wasn't her actual death, and then she came back. So yeah, I think yeah. that was the funnest part for me. And we didn't, did, we may not have even mentioned that the conclusion takes place at Stu's house. Right. Yeah, I forgot to mention that. Yeah, there's did tons you... of Easter eggs that we're just not going to mention people there, there's a lot of them so <laughs> so many yeah and, <laughs> don't and that, uh, you can tell us we missed something if you want to but yeah yeah no i, I agree I, I think that's the, the the biggest thing that i struggle with on this film like so much of it was just how do we tie it back to the characters from the first one how's like every, every character like related to whether it's like a niece and nephew or a daughter or like some other sibling um it was like so concerned with like tying itself to the original storyline that um i don't know like maybe even compared to all the other films, this one felt more or less like a reboot compared to other ones that were less like so tied to bringing back the original cast in some way. I agree. I think four felt like more of a reboot than this one because, yeah, like think about it. The cast is you've got two of Randy's relatives, his niece and his nephew, Deputy Hicks's son, Billy's daughter and her half sister. Two randoms, and then the whole conclusion takes place at Stu's house. Like that's a lot. That's a lot to put in there to tie back to the first one. So, and I and think it, I'm a little disappointed that this thinks of itself as a reboot and really is is very <laughs> very much hemmed in by the original. I think. Yeah, yeah, and I think earlier uh, one of the characters killed is Stu's son, right? Stu's um, son, really? Yeah, I remember there's that dude who's, like, cool, but he's got a car, and he used to date that girl, and he's outside of a bar, and they almost get in a fight, but then he goes outside and gets killed. Oh, that's not Stu's son, is it? I think I think he's related to I think that's Stu's son, yeah. Don't they, so like, Stu come back got and somebody say, pregnant in high school, too? <laughs> I guess, man. Woodsboro is, like, happening, man. I don't it's, know if you're right about that one. I, that, that guy is, is related uh, somehow, because why else would, would he have been there and, like, killed? Oh, uh, God, I forgot all about that guy. Yeah, uh, we're worth double-checking, just to make sure. <laughs> yeah, everybody double-check on that one. So, some relation to Stu, I'm, I'm pretty sure they, they, they mentioned something there. Because uh, otherwise, that was just like an oddball, random character to, to have show up and suddenly get killed. But I, uh, uh, I connected to the new characters in Scream 4 a lot more than I connected to these characters. Yeah, yeah, me too. These, these Mindy, characters Mindy was the coolest. She, she was pretty cool, but... Um, oh. Yeah, even so, the, she was just kind of like a rehashing of Randy. Yeah, yeah, female Randy. Hey, that was the other thing. I, I think at the end, so uh, I think Mindy, we assume, got killed and, and her stepbrother, or er, twin brother, but then at the end, I think like she they survived, right? 
It did. It did seem like they both survived. Yeah. Yeah, I think you had a lot more survivors at the end of this, uh, which makes me think like, yeah, these are going to be the main cast members going forward potentially. Right. Right. Sure. I don't mind Mindy continuing through the franchise. That works. Yeah. I yeah, think we'll need cool. a new final girl though. <laughs> I mean, this is not. You know, if like, this had been Samara <laughs> Weaving, yeah, yeah, you've got, you've got a full rebooted franchise, and and honestly, I think this would have been a way better movie. Mm, yeah. Uh, I think we would have felt a lot more of the scenes we were supposed to feel things in. We would have felt something. Yeah. I struggle in putting all the blame on her because uh, I do feel like some of the scripting might have been interesting. Like, yeah, like the, the sister getting really mad when she reveals that. Or right. like a, a screen film maybe not even having like the tone or the right atmosphere to deliver like some of the emotional like realizations that she's like saying where, you know, I, I discovered that my dad was someone else and that broke up our whole family and I'm carrying this guilt. Like just like that emotion to be able to capture that in a movie like this. I don't know if that comes down to how well you perform it or if like that doesn't even deserve a place here. I mean, uh, look at the original Scream, right? The tragedy of her losing her mom and coming to terms with the fact that her mom wasn't a great person and was cheating on her dad and Billy Loomis going through the exact same thing with his family. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty similar stuff. I, I think it has a place here. I just think. Ew, yeah. But to be fair, I, I agree. I'm putting maybe too much blame on that performance and really it wasn't scripted very well. Yeah, and I feel like Nev Campbell could just like squint through those uh, dialogue pieces uh, and maybe they're moving away from the squints on this one. Who, who do you think's a better <laughs> who's, who's a better uh, actress here? You, you, you take Nev Campbell over. Uh, um, oh man, uh, what is her name? Uh, Melissa. Yeah, Melissa yeah, Barrera. Melissa yes, Barrera. yes, Nev Campbell. Okay. All day. Okay. All right. So but uh, that's been a disagreement of ours throughout the franchise, so no surprises there. I think her acting was even more like uh, fine-tuned in this one, right? She's. I think she's really adapted her ap- acting with the way that Sydney has evolved as a character. Yeah, yeah, that felt really real. Yeah. Um, so that was good to see. Do you think um, Nev Campbell and Gail uh, will be back, Gail Weathers would be back in uh, the future ep- movies? I think they're done. My, my okay. money says they're done. Okay, cool. Yeah, that would be a fitting ending for them, too. I think so. I think it's time to move on. I think a lot of the regulars, too, were hesitant to even like participate in a movie without Wes Craven. And I think a big part of why they, maybe not a big part, but they kind of all got to come back and make it an official send-off to Wes. They dedicated the movie to Wes. They had that toast. Um, and in the toast, there were vocal cameos from Matthew Lillard, Drew Barrymore. Oh, no, Drew Barrymore was the voice of the school principal, actually, in this movie. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I, during the toast, there was multiple voice cameos. I think it... I think Lillard was in that. Hayden Penetary was in it. Jamie Kennedy, Henry Winkler, Adam Brody, uh, Wes Craven's widow, Kevin Williamson, Marco Beltrami. Yeah. So. Right. Yeah. Uh, and that's more than an Easter egg. That's that's really people like you know coming to terms with Wes Craven's death and and you know getting involved in this movie as a send off. That's cool. I, I I wouldn't. I'm not gonna poo poo that. So. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Signing a goodbye card. Yeah. But so I think. My money says they're done, but okay. who knows? Yeah, yeah, I hope so. This this seems like a good place to end their story arc. Speaking of uh, Easter, I mean, this isn't even quite an Easter egg, but I did not catch it while watching the movie. Uh, Sid says that her husband is Mark, which is Patrick Dempsey's character from Scream 3. Oh, really? Yeah, wow. apparently they're married now. Oh, my God. In the, wait, uh, Patrick Dempsey, who? Oh, the cop? Yep. Whoa. 
Interesting. Yeah, yeah. right? They definitely had some sparks uh, in that film. They so did. Could see that. Yeah. Who wouldn't cool. want Patrick Dempsey? I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was, he, he was something else in there. All right. Cool. Should we, should we jump to the rating? Yeah, let's do it. All right, man. Well, how many burning teenagers would you give this one? Oh, God. Uh, hmm. I give it... I'm between a three and a three and a half. Mm-hmm. I think I give one. it a three after this discussion. Okay. Three burning teenagers. I, I did enjoy the movie, um, but I don't have that much great to say about it. I think overall it was a well-made movie, but n- not a giant fan and not uh, not towards the top of my favorites in the franchise. So... My ranking goes one, four, three. No, one, four, two, five, three. It's better than okay. Scream 3. Yeah, yeah, but not better than Scream 2, huh? No. Interesting. Okay, cool. How about you? How many burning teenagers? Uh, I gave it three. You know, I, I, I thought uh, it was a cool way to tribute the original franchise, but yeah, they kind of uh, over-indexed on it uh, at certain points. That was kind of unnecessary, but love that they like they made it like way more violent than I feel like any of the other ones were. So that, that was kind of cool to see like the brutal stabbings happening here. Um, uh, but yeah, the new cast members weren't that exciting and um, exciting that they kindly, f- finally got rid of uh, one of the main characters like Dewey. Um, and then, yeah, the acting was a little bit rough. So I landed on a three. So it sounds like both of us are, are on a three. Though my ranking, I feel like I would go five, four, this one, then two and three. I might put this one ahead of two. Wait, five, four? Say say oh, it again. I think you said sorry. something wrong. I did. Uh, one, four, five, two, three, I think. Okay, so you're putting so, this one ahead of two. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Um, just because you don't have like that dude singing in the cafeteria. <laughs> that was bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel like you had some cool kills in this one, which which uh, bumped it up a little bit more for me. Yeah. Yeah. But well, uh, I think we've. I just feel like lately we're a, a bit more of stinkers with our reviews. I feel like we're probably disappointing listeners more than we ever have <laughs> the past few so? weeks for some reason. We're just very disgruntled. <laughs> we're we're disgruntled. Yeah. I I just think we've been like that with some of the major theater releases. I think we've been excited about them and just <laughs> then come out of the movie like, yeah. <laughs> I paid 20 bucks for that. <laughs> <laughs> I put on pants for this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I see I see the enjoyment of this movie, but I yeah. I need more for more than easter eggs. And I'm not saying those of you that loved it don't have very legitimate defenses of this movie, but uh, yeah, I, it, yeah. Oh, the technology thing. I, I said I was going to comment on the technology once we revealed the killers. They connected on Reddit, on a subreddit. Oh, okay. So that's what you so think. So I like think, the, you know, Scream 4 yeah. commented on like social media, like Facebook type stuff, and, and this right. was kind of the next level. And, and that's part of the toxic fandom, too, is, you know, a bunch of people who don't even know each other. Or, are making things happen in, in entertainment just by being stinkers on dark corners of the internet. You talking about our Discord server? I'm talking. I, think, I might be talking about me right now on this episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this episode in this podcast. <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah. No, good call. Yeah, those, I forgot they they mentioned that at the end. Cool. All right. Well, anything else? That's it. Send all hate mail to uh, horror movie club. What podcast at horrormovieclub.com. 
Yeah, there you go. We always read it. <laughs> I do. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, yeah. Thanks everyone for listening. That's been our review of Scream. If you enjoyed the episode, we'd love to hear from you. Leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. That's going to help other people find our show, and we always appreciate the feedback. If you want to join the discussion, you can find our social links on HorrorMovieClub.com or shoot us an email at podcast at HorrorMovieClub.com. We're going to announce next week's movie on Facebook and Twitter in case you want to watch it before the next episode. We also now have a Discord server where we're chatting up with some other listeners, as we mentioned, uh, and horror fans, so you can find that on our website. Our logo is by Amy Mae Popart, so check her out on our web on Etsy.com. And until next time, if you didn't like how something ended, like this episode, instead of showing up at Brian's house like you are planning to do right now, uh, maybe just create your own episode and post it up somewhere in Reddit versus terrorizing Brian and I. <laughs> would, that, would that be kind of weird if someone came over and, uh, and, and did this to us to rewrite this episode? <laughs> if someone recorded a podcast on our podcast yeah exactly you know there probably are podcasts about podcasts oh man there was what was that there was a show and it was like it, you get to watch me having a reaction to me watching things or something you know like <laughs> no no but that makes sense yeah yeah there's, yeah, there's gotta be a podcast on podcasting <laughs>